listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. So 2 Chronicles chapter 16, if you don't have a Bible, someone would be glad to give you one. Just put your hand up and uh, one of our ushers will give that to you, Second Chronicles chapter 16. Um, for those of you that maybe came in a little bit after the intro this morning, my name is Earl Marshall, and my wife Brenda's here with me. She's sitting over here. Say hi, Brenda. Wave everybody. Nice, Brenda. And uh, we're from Hope Oakville. We've been married about 37 years, uh, almost 37 years. August the 10th, 1985. See, like I, I remember, right? 37. Years ago, we have two kids, and they are married, and we have five grandchildren, or I should say we have five grandkids, and then we've got two kids, right? It's all, all about the grandkids, right? So we love our grandchildren and our children. We're just, uh, we're really glad how the Lord has blessed us in those things. Um, I send greetings to you from Hope Oakville, from our elders, and uh, many of you have been at Hope Oakville at one time or another, and I just want to say uh, they are praying for, for me this morning, praying for you this morning as we open God's Word together, and they just want to say hi. Um, hi to you. It's a blessing to be here. I want you to know that your church is famous amongst the Great Commission Collective Churches in Canada. During COVID, it was like, I wonder what they're doing this weekend. Right? It was like, honestly, it was, it was like, it was like the little, what's Kelowna doing this weekend? Are they, like, are they split up into four groups? Are they meeting here? Are they meeting there? Are they meeting at all? You know, kind of idea. It was just, you have this, you're famous for your flexibility and your ability to kind of get after wanting to be together. So I just want you to know that you are a, a great example across, uh, across our churches. And so I just want you to be blessed by that. Okay, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 this morning, and I, before we get into this chapter, I want to set a little bit of a context, because uh, 2 Chronicles is um, a unique book in that it is written to a unique audience. It's written to originally to a post-exile audience, and what that means is that there, there were people from Israel, from Judah uh, uh, technically, that were returning back to Jerusalem after exile. So the Babylonians had captured them. They've gone off into exile in 586 B.C., and now they're returning back to Jerusalem. And so the chronicler is recording for them a record of their kings, and he's reminding them about what happened before they got into exile because there's some things that they need to learn as they return from exile. So they're on their way back to Jerusalem, or they're just back in Jerusalem they're thinking about rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city walls. They're trying to reestablish their lives. You can read about that in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. The question that's on their mind is, can we restore what we used to have? Is it possible for us, after all these years of being in exile, that we can actually restore what we used to have? Now, it's interesting because we live in a time and day when many people are asking the same kinds of questions, coming out of a pandemic, coming out of these massive changes that have happened in our society and are happening in our society. One of the questions is on the minds of many people is, can we actually 
restore what we used to have. Many of us are wondering, what's going to happen next? Are we going to return to what we used to have? Are we going to be able to reestablish things? Will we be able to rebuild? Will we be able to recover what we used to have? And so here it is in the book of Second Chronicles. These people are returning back, and they're wondering about whether they're going to be able to rebuild. They're wondering about whether they're going to recover. And yet, the chronicler is writing all of these stories, recording these stories from them underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not to really remind them about rebuilding and restoring, but to talk to them about returning. Actually returning to the Lord. They're concerned about like what their society is going to look like, what their city is going to look like, what the walls are going to look like, what the temple is going to look like. That's on their minds. But what's on the heart in these stories is actually returning back to the Lord. And so in this book, there's a recounting for us the stories of the kings that ultimately led them into exile and the disobedience of some of those kings and obedience of some others, but really the sins that ultimately led them into Babylonian captivity. And he wants to remind them that the road back actually runs right through their hearts. And this morning, I want you to get that message. The road back runs through your heart. So our key verse this morning is 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Many of you know this verse. If you can see it, it's on the screen here for you. It says, uh, it says in verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Just break down these, these, some of these key phrases. The first phrase, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout whole, the whole earth. In other words, God is on the lookout. He's roaming. He's scanning. He's turning here and there. The question is, is, what, is God going to find what he's looking for? He's, he's looking to give strong support, it says, to step in and to give strength to help people prevail. There is no problem that God doesn't know about and that he can't deliver you through and from. That's what he's wanting to do. So he's on the lookout, and he wants to provide strong support, and he wants to give it to those whose heart is blameless towards him. That word blameless means whole or complete or integrated or undivided. In other words, fully devoted to the Lord. So this morning we're going to find in this story is that God is actively looking for and strongly supports the heart that is fully devoted to him. So are you ready to go? Okay, so let's look at, look, we're going to look at verse 1. The story here in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 through 16 is about King Asa. He is the third king of Judah. He reigned in Judah for about 41 years, around 911 B.C. to 870 B.C., and here in this, this chapter, God reveals to us what a fully devoted heart to him looks like. Right Here it is, in verses 1 through 7. A fully devoted heart is one who fully relies on the Lord. Verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might per permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, 
There's a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commander of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Dijon, Dan, Abel-Mam, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basha had been building, and with them he built Geba and Mitzpah. So I don't know about you, when I read about all that stuff, I, think, I need a map. Anybody need a map? Okay, let's get a map up on the screen. Here's your, here's your map up on the screen, because there's a lot of names and cities and towns and things that are happening up here. You'll notice that King Asa is, is the king of the country or the nation Judah. Remember there was a time period when after King Solomon, the, the nation of Israel split into two parts, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was conquered in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was conquered by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Well, before all that conquering took place, you have Asa, all right, Asa who is the king of, the, of, of Judah. And in Israel, in the northern kingdom, is King Basha. Whenever you see the word King Basha, you should be booing inside of your heart. Right? He's like the bad guy in He's like the villain in the story. So you have King Asa, who's, who's in charge of Judah, but then in Israel, in the kingdom right above him, you have King Basha. And Basha was smart. He, he wanted to make sure that nothing good was happening in Judah, so he begins to build this city, Ramah. Do you see it? you see where it is? It's like five miles north of Jerusalem. It was strategically located along the north-south route towards Jerusalem. So in other words, if you wanted to get anything into Jerusalem, you had to go through Ramah. So it became like a choke point. It was like a, a controlling the traffic flow in and out of Judah and Jerusalem with all of their people and resources. And slowly over time, the resources are being cut off from Judah. Right? He's smart. Right? He's trying to gain control over that. But but Asa knows, okay, this is not a good situation. So what he decides to do is, is he decides that he's going to make a deal with the king of Syria. Okay, the king of Syria. Way, he's way up somewhere else, right? King Syria. Now, the king of Syria already has a deal with the, the northern king, King Basha. They've already got a covenant between one another. They've got a deal. You know, this is what happened, you know, back then. They made deals with one another. They cut contracts with one another and... So you've got the king of Syria has got the back of, of, the, of the king of, of Israel, and they're in this massive deal. And so the Judah, the king of Judah, Asa says, well, I've got even a better idea. I'm going to cut a better deal with the king of Syria, and I'm going to get him now to get, have my back, and then, then this whole thing's going to get solved. So what happens is, is he cuts this deal with them. He wants one with Syria, so Syria will then break their agreement with Israel. And, of course, it's going to cost him more than the deal that was already made with the northern kingdom. And so you see a record for that here in chapter 6, verses 1 and following. He says, Asa, in verse 2, it says, Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord. Right? So 
I don't know what the deal was, but maybe it was like, I don't know, a truckload, maybe there was one truckload of, of gold and silver that, for the original deal between Syria and Israel. Well, now it's like two truckloads for the southern kingdom and Syria. And so the king Syria, all he cares about is making more money, so he just breaks his deal with the king of Israel. And what he does is he goes up, see up to the north, and he starts attacking cities of, that are of the nation of Israel. And when he does that, then the king of Israel has to stop the construction on Ramah, and he has to go back up to these, to these towns, to these cities to protect them. And when he does that, the king of Judah sweeps in, and he literally dismantles the city of Ramah and builds some other cities. You say, man, that's like so ingenious. Problem solved, right? Nope. Not so fast. It looks like the problem solved. It looks like the problem solved. But look at verse 7 of chapter 16. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. So, like on the surface, you're just looking at on the surface, it looks like the problem has been solved, but this prophet, the seer, shows up in, in verse 7 of chapter 16. Hananiah shows up and he says, no, no, the problem here, there's a, there's a bigger problem here. The bigger problem is, is the fact that you're not relying on the Lord. You did not rely on the Lord. And a fully devoted heart relies on God. The word rely here means literally to lean on for support. It's used in Ezekiel chapter 29, verses 6 and 7, when it's speaking of Egypt. It says, when they leaned on you, you broke. In other words, when, when these other nations leaned on Egypt, it was like Egypt couldn't handle the leaning, so everything collapsed. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, that famous verse that many of you can quote. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not, what? Lean on your own understanding. Do not rely on your own understanding. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Hananiah is saying to Asa, he's saying, that's exactly what you did. You've leaned on your own understanding. It looked like it was the right thing to do, but it wasn't the right thing to do. He leaned on his own understanding and he approaches the king of Syria to be his strong support. In other words, he keeps God totally out of the picture. Are you, all, all, everybody around, all, almost all the other human beings are saying, that was, that was brilliant, man. I wish I had thought about that myself. That's an awesome idea. Why didn't we all think about that earlier? We should have done that well. And yet the seer shows up, the prophet shows up and says, Dude, you did the wrong thing. You're supposed to trust in God. You're supposed to lean on God. You're supposed to rely on God. That's the heart of the issue. The crisis hits, and he comes to the conclusion that he has to solve the problem. Go back to chapter 16, verse, verse 2. I want you to see the progression here and what's happening here. 
In chapter 16, verse 1, he knows that there's a problem. So what does he do in chapter 16, verse 2? He takes silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord. In other words, he says, he looks at the situation and he says, okay, I've got to solve this problem. And I have the resources to do this. So he's thinking, you know, I can solve this problem. I've got the resources to do this. Then in verse 3, you'll notice he, not only that, but I had the precedent to do this too. So you see what it says in verse 3? Oh, by the way, he sends this message to, the, to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. There's a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Right? I've got the resources. We've done this before. Right? We've done this before. And then, of course, verse 6 ultimately would suggest that it would validate the decision because what happens? It works. It works. Success. It works, right? I have the resources to do this. I've got precedent on my side. We've done this before. We were successful. It's almost like, you know, you could really put that on a cup, like on a mug, right? I can do this. It's been done before, and it works. Just say it to yourself a few times. I mean, you've done it before. I know you've said this before. I can do this. It's been done before. It works. Go ahead, say it. <laughs> you want to say it together? It sounds, make, it'll, it'll make you feel good. It, does, it makes human beings feel good. Listen, listen to it. Listen to it. Come on, let's say it together. I can do this. I can do this. It's been done before. And it works. Okay, now say it with some kind of like emotion <laughs> this time. You know, you're Canadians, you want to kind of draw back. But let's say with some emotion, okay? Like, I can do this, right? It's been done before, and it works. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Relying on yourself is not the solution. Likewise, sometimes the opposite is not the solution, too. Sometimes when crisis hits, sometimes we say, well, I don't have the resources, I don't have the president, this is just doomed to fail, we can't do this. Whether it's positive or negative, there's no crisis, there's no challenge, there's no opportunity that's too big for the Lord. There's nothing that hinders the Lord's strong support of you, just your own heart. Right? Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The Lord's roaming around. He's looking. He's looking for people whose hearts are fully relied on Him. Right? There's nothing that hinders God's strong support, just your own heart. He strongly supports those who have a whole heart towards Him, that are relying on Him, trusting in Him, that are leaning on Him. You see, the issue here, it's trust. It's, it's who are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting on yourself? Are you trusting on someone else? Are you trusting on the Lord? Who are you trusting in? Remember we read in our prayer just as we began the service, Psalm 121, from where does my help come from? Right? We look to the hills, from where does our help come from? Right? It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. And so you, a crisis may hit in your life, and, and I'm sure many of you, probably some of you are experiencing crisis even right now in your life. Maybe it's a relational crisis. 
Maybe you feel like your first response, your first response to a relational crisis is, I have to fix this. That's your, if that's, is that your first response? Or maybe, maybe for some of you, you're going through a health crisis. Right? So many of us in this room have experienced health crises before. We've had, had those challenges happen in our lives. Maybe, maybe is your first response, I have to somehow find some, some kind of solution to this. Is that my first step, my first response? Or is it my first response is, Lord, I need your help. You're the one. I want to rely on, well, I want to rely on you. Please, Lord, direct my path, direct my steps. Lord, I want my first response is, Lord, I need your help in this. Or maybe, that's, maybe it's a new opportunity comes into your life, right? And as you begin to think about this new opportunity, how do you respond to that? Like, I been talking to Pastor Meldon and listening to him talk about the possibilities for the fall and other different things that might be happening in the church. I mean, look, the room's almost full. You know, we have another service after this one, and there's lots of amazing things happening. We're, you know, so when that opportunity kind of steps into your path, what's your first step? Is it like, oh, we've got to solve this problem. We've got to, we've got to put a plan in place. We've got to kind of come up with a solution. Is the first What's the first step? Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. Our first step forward is, is with the Lord. It's not we can do this, or maybe for some of you, oh, we can't do this. It's not about leaning on your own understanding. It's actually leaning on the Lord. Leaning on the Lord. If our first thought or our first move in crisis or challenge or even opportunity is, is I can do this or... I can't do this, and quickly, quickly we need to realize that we're trusting in ourselves. Our first step needs to be prayer and leaning into the Lord, not rely, and making sure that we are relying on the Lord. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with pursuing other solutions. There's nothing wrong with having discussions about all those different things. It's all about who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your plans? Are you trusting in your ability to solve the problem? Or are you trusting in the Lord? We have to rely on the Lord. And that's the kind of heart that the Lord is looking for. The heart that's fully devoted to the Lord is the one who relies on Him. And Asa was not relying on Him. Even though it looks like the problem has been solved, the problem has not been solved. Because the real problem is with His heart. That's where the problem is. So first of all, a heart fully devoted to God relies on the Lord. And then second of all this, a heart that is relying on the Lord, also rehearses God's faithfulness. Look at verse 8. Hanani continues his conversation, and he says, Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand? Okay, so go back to verse 7. You know, the prophet shows up and he says, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. 
What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about a situation that happened a number of years earlier. It's recorded for us in chapter 14. So keep your finger in chapter 16 if you need to do that, or flip your screen down to chapter 14. And we're going to look at just, just in, in chapter 14, verses 9 through 12, this is the story that he's talking about. Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them, came out against the, 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 um, the, the Judah's army. Well, actually, go back to verse 8. It says, Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. And then it says this in verse 9. Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Mersha. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephathah at Mersha. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. We're leaning on you, Lord. And in your name we have come against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Hanani confronts him. He confronts Asa, and he says, Do you remember? Remember? Remember what happened? You remember what happened with the Ethiopians? You remember when they came out with over a million men? who are about to fight you, you had, like, you had a good-sized army too, but they had like almost twice the size as what you had. And remember that time when you just, you just cried out to the Lord and you said, Lord, we're just relying on you. We need you, so we're leaning totally on you. And what did the Lord do? The Lord gave you victory. He gave you victory. Why is it? Why have you forgotten God's faithfulness? Why have you forgotten? You have to rehearse God's faithfulness. Hanani is reminding him. He's reminding him about when he cried out to the Lord for help. He's reminding him about when the Lord defeated the Ethiopians. He's saying, remember, 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 remember. The fully devoted heart is dedicated to rehearsing and remembering God's faithfulness. And the reason why we have to do that is because we quickly forget. We have to rehearse. We have to remember. We have to remember God's faithfulness. Asa is facing, basically the situation in chapter 16 is like the same thing that he went through in chapter 14. You're thinking, how, is it, how would it be possible for a king that had already had a major battle and seeing how God had provided for him, and just a couple of chapters later, acting totally differently. You say, how is that possible? I don't know. Like, I don't, you ask the same question about your own life. How is it possible that you can think back to God's faithfulness in your life, the times when God has showed up in your life, the things that God has done for you, and then yet, and, and yet, like days later, or maybe hours later, or months later, or years later, be put in the same kind of situation, and you respond totally differently. That's what we do. 
And so here is Asa reminding us, this negative example reminding us that, that we must rehearse God's faithfulness. Psalm 145, verses 4 through 6 on the screen says, this is why one generation must commend God's work to another, because quickly one generation forgets. We have to rehearse the gospel in our lives. Nothing moves our hearts closer to God than remembering the life-changing love of God that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus gave us communion. That's, that's why he gave us that, that act of remembrance. It's like, why did Jesus give the communion? He gave us the church, the church communion is because, because we forget. And he wanted us, he wanted us to remember him, to remember, to proclaim the death of Christ to ourselves and others until he comes because we ultimately, we forget. We don't like forget like, and like we just forget that it ever happened. We forget in the fact that it's that important to us. We get out in the world and at times we become disconnected from the cross. We get disconnected from Jesus Christ and then we come back together and we hear the preaching of God's word and we sing songs together. Why do we do that? Well, one of the reasons we do that is so that we can remember. We can remember the stories of Scripture like we're doing this morning over and over again, looking at God's faithfulness and how many times He continues to show up. He doesn't just show up in your life. He's actually shown up ever since the beginning of human history. He's been dealing with people over and over and over again in the same consistent manner, with the same consistent heart, with the same consistent character towards people. And yet here we are, every page of Scripture you turn on, and we see sometimes people like relying on the Lord, and sometimes we don't. And yet God in His patience and His love for us sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth so we could have a relationship with Him. So we could experience forgiveness for our sins so we could have a relationship with God now and forever. We need to remember this. That's why Jerry Bridges says you have to preach the gospel to yourself every single day. The fully devoted heart daily rehearses God's faithfulness. We rehearse the gospel in our lives. We recount God's faithfulness. Oh my, this church is a living example of God's faithfulness. Right? Ten years ago, some of you were praying for this. Nine years ago, Hope Oakville got engaged with, with Meldon, and, and then the, the, it just started, you know? It kind of started from there. What, I guarantee you we had no idea what was going to happen. Just like today, we have no idea what's going to happen. Right? We, we didn't know. 2014, the church launched. And you've had all these different iterations, right? People have come to know Christ. People have been baptized. Lives have been changed. Marriage has been restored. It's awesome. You, you, have to, you have to rehearse God's faithfulness. You have to continue to rehearse God's faithfulness. Why? Because it helps you now and it helps you with your future. God's not going to forget you. Has He forgotten you yet? He won't forget you. We, we hold on to that individually. We should hold on to that collectively as a church, as a church family. 
As you pray for God's leading and His direction, recount His faithfulness. Don't trust in yourself, but know His faithfulness. Gain confidence in His faithfulness. Trust Him. And so, you see that in, in verse 8. He's just, he's just flat out forgotten. He's refusing to remember God's goodness in his life and how God has done this in his past. And then it says in verse 9, the, verse, the key verse for us, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. So this whole heart, this blameless heart, what, what, is, what does it look like? Well, it looks like one who relies on God, one who rehearses God's faithfulness. And then here, here's the third thing. It's a heart that receives God's correction. You see what it says at the end of verse 9? You have done foolishly in this, for, now, for from now on you will have wars. That takes a lot of guts. To stand in front of a king and say to him, you've done foolishly with this. That's the word of the Lord speaking through the prophet to the king. And Asa has a choice. He can either receive that correction or he can react to that correction. And which path did he choose? He reacted. He reacted. Look at what it says in, in verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison. He was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. Right? So he didn't just react. He actually chose the nuclear reaction. Right? I don't know if you've ever been in a room when somebody's chosen a nuclear reaction. Like not like the, you know, you know not the pictures of the bomb blowing up in the sea. But literally, you've been in a room when somebody has not only reacted to God's correction, but they've chosen the nuclear reaction to God's correction. It's not fun. It's not fun being in the room, right? This is what he chose. He takes out his anger out on Hanani. He throws him in prison. And whoever is in the circle of Hanani's influence is also, also within the stretch of his anger. I wish I could tell you that this doesn't happen very often, but it happens often. Many of us have been in that room when the nuclear reaction has happened. Some of you have been on the receiving end of that, and some of you have actually been the cause of that. You've been the giver of that. A heart that's wholly dedicated to the Lord receives God's correction. Does not react nuclear-like with it. When confronted with a lack of reliance, trust, and leaning on God, and confronted with not remembering the faithfulness of God, Asa blows his top. What about you? It might not even be, it may not even be someone who actually delivers the news to you. It may just be the Spirit of God who presses in on your heart. Maybe even right now, while you're listening to me say this, I understand, like, I, I have no idea what's going on in your life right now, but you might, the Spirit of God actually might be pressing in on your heart right now. You have a choice. You can either receive the Lord's correction or you can react to it. 
You can react to it. Many of us just, we, we just, we don't like being confronted. Does anyone really love it? Right? We just don't, we don't like being, being confronted. We don't, we don't love that. Few of us like to be challenged. Few of us like to be confronted. And many of us don't like to change, like change, especially when it impacts us directly. And yet, and yet, through all of that, we were reminded of verses like Romans 8, verses 28 and 29, right? Which talks about, what does it say? Anyone? Anyone remember what it says in Romans 8, 28 and 29? All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, right? And then what does it say in verse 29? That those people have been predestined, what? To be conformed to the, of his son. What's the good? What is the good that God is trying to work out in our lives? He's trying to make us more like Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12 that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you that as you walk your way with Jesus Christ, as you're in relationship with God, I'll guarantee you, you will be confronted. And the question is whether you will receive that or whether you will react to it. God is calling us to receive it. It's exactly what he wants for us. He wants our hearts to be changed. He wants our lives to be transformed. Do you understand? God loves you so much. He wants your life to be like his son, Jesus. It's his number one priority for you. It's what it's, that's his best for you. It's, that's his best. And he uses all different kinds of things to, to kind of get your attention, to either receive the, the confrontation, receive the correction, or to react to it. Oh, God, please help us to receive it. To receive it. And as a church, I just want to remind you that the days and, your days and, the, and the path ahead for you as a church, it's going to be full of lots of challenges, lots of ups and downs. God is going to continue to be faithful. He's going to show himself to be faithful. Some of you are going to wonder in the midst of it whether he is actually being faithful. You're going to have twists. You're going to have turns. God's steadfast love and faithfulness is going to be there with you. He's going to use every single thing that's going to stretch you to make him more, make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants, and that's what he longs for for your life. So are you ready to receive that, or are you going to react to it? See, this story comes to a really sad conclusion. Look at verse 11. The Acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. The end. 
It's not a very good ending. It's not a very great ending. I mean, I, I hope my life doesn't end like that. He did not seek the Lord. He did not rely on the Lord. That word, that, that phrase, but sought help from physicians, is not a negative statement about the physicians. It's a negative statement about his heart. Okay, It's about his heart. He's relying, he's relying on, on things and people and individuals and situations and circumstances other than relying on the Lord. See, God is actively seeking for, he strongly supports hearts that are devoted to him. And if you're fully devoted to him, if you're relying on him, if you're rehearsing God's faithfulness, if you're receiving his correction, you have his support. No no matter what happens, you have his support. The Lord's with you. In fact, he's looking for people like that. This is a word for you. I'm positive this is a word for you from the Lord. It's in God's word. It's a word for you. It's a word for this church. Let's rely on the Lord. Let's let's continue to rehearse His faithfulness. Let's receive His correction. Right? Knowing that He has only our best interests at heart. So let's rely on Him. Rehearse His faithfulness. Receive God's correction together. Why don't we just bow right now. Just close your eyes. Bow your heads. I just want, maybe there's just a time for you just to have some reflection on your own right now just ask yourself these questions you know am i relying on the lord are you you leaning too much on your own understanding or are you truly fully leaning on the lord how are you doing at rehearsing god's faithfulness have the circumstances of your life just so overwhelmed you that you can't you're not even taking the time to remember all the great things that God has done for you already, his, his consistent faithfulness in your life, how he's given you what he's given you in Jesus Christ, how he has been faithful to you over the years. And then for some of you, like, is this a time where God is actually trying to get your attention? Are you reacting to that or are you receiving that? So, Lord, we pray to that end now. We ask that you would help us to take these words from your Scripture and, Spirit of God, would you apply them directly into our lives. Meet the needs. Please change us as you promised to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.